Okay, we're in the book of 1 Peter, where we've been for a few, a few weeks now. Uh, we're in 1 Peter chapter 2, um, so I'm going to read from verses 4 to 10, which are going to appear on the screen as if by magic behind me. Here we go. So let's read them together. Uh, well, I'll just read them. You can listen, um, and then I will pray. This is 1 Peter chapter 2 from verse 4 to 10. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Jesus, we thank you that we can gather this morning and we've already been able to come and sing and in one way offer a spiritual sacrifice. And it's acceptable we can do it because, Jesus, of what you've done for us, that you came down to earth, that you lived as one of us, you died, and then three days later you rose again. You defeated death. And in your death and resurrection, for those of us who are believers in you, we now know that we have this new life now, that we died with you, And we've been born again into this new family, into this new status, this new relationship with you that we can come and enjoy and know the living God. We can come and worship, do the very thing that you made us to do, all because of your grace, your mercy lavished on us that set us free. You've called us out of darkness into into your marvelous light. And we want that truth this morning to penetrate right into our hearts because it's the only truth on this earth that really matters. We pray, Holy Spirit, you'd be at work amongst us doing surgery in our hearts this morning, lifting our gaze to you again, we pray. Amen. Amen. I was doing some research a while ago and was trying to find out some more... uh, information about the 
this building that we meet in and the Vondelkirk that we normally meet in, um, which are beautiful, amazing buildings. And uh, I, I was, I Googled, I can't remember what the phrase I Googled, but something to do with the Vondelkirk. And I came across this website of an organization called Inner Peace, who they hold kind of yoga and meditation classes. And they meet in the Vondelkirk from time to time. And it says this, it says churches, they mean church buildings, are designed to channel universal wisdom to the people. Their locations are always chosen with a clear purpose in mind. Their energetic field functioning as the nadis of the city. These urban sanctuaries are charged with spiritual energy by practicing inner peace in these sacred places, we tap into this energy. Here we can come in oneness, oneness with the universe and go beyond religion. Now I'm not reading that to kind of, I'm not reading it because I agree with them at all. And I'm also not reading it to, to mock them. I guess I read that and my heart kind of sank because I thought, if only they knew, if only they knew that actually, even here this morning, there is, it's probably not the best language to use, but to borrow their terminology, in one sense, there is a spiritual energy here. There's, there's a power that's able to raise from the dead because it's the very presence of God is here right now. It's here. And it's not, it's not to do with this space or bricks and mortar. Although we come into a place like this and we're filled with a, uh, a sense of kind of awe, you know, they're remarkable buildings. But there's nothing special about this building itself. It's just, it's just bricks, really, at the end of the day. But there is something much, much more powerful here, and that's the people of God. The, the church, this is where God dwells on earth now, is in his people. So the presence of God is here right now. And that's what we're gonna, what we're gonna talk about today. Because this passage starts with, with Peter saying, as you come to him, he's talking about Jesus, a living stone rejected by men. And Peter is, he's teaching us about Jesus and he's teaching us from what Jesus had taught him because Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was one of his disciples. He followed Jesus around for the three years that Jesus was on earth or the, the three years of his ministry. Jesus was older than three years old, obviously. But he followed him around for those three years and there's a, a moment in Matthew 21 where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who were uh, uh, religious believers who, who uh, weren't following Jesus. And Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, which is the words that Peter's quoting here. And both Peter and Jesus are quoting from Psalm 118 in the, in the Old Testament, where it has has the same phrase. It says the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And the cornerstone, a cornerstone is, 
It's like the focal point of the building. It's from where everything else grows. It's the, the keystone, the, the, the foundation stone, the thing that everything else is built upon. It's the, the most important part of the building. And in Psalm 118, this cornerstone that the, the builders re had rejected, but this, this kind of center of everything, that everything else is supposed to be built on, in Psalm 118, it's talking about Israel. This is all going to make sense in a moment. Just follow with me. Talking about Israel, who are the, the people of God in the Old Testament, God's special chosen people. And Psalm 118 is saying to them that you are the cornerstone. You're the, you're the thing that God's going to work out all of his plan for this world. He's going to work it out through them. Everything that he's going to build, everything that God's going to do, he's going to work it out through this people that he's, that he's chosen. They're at the very center of God's kingdom. And what Jesus is saying in Matthew 21 and what Peter's repeating to us is that on one hand, Jesus is, is taking that away from Israel and he's saying that's, in Psalm 118, it was actually talking about me. Jesus is saying this is about myself. That I'm, I'm the very center of God's kingdom. I'm the cornerstone. I'm in the middle of it all. And then he just, then just goes on to describe how that idea of him being this cornerstone, this living stone, now comes on to us as the people of God. We're the living stones now. And you might think, what on earth is this guy talking about? What's happening here? Living stones, cornerstones, this idea of a spiritual house. It doesn't, the language doesn't sound too different from what the yoga people were saying a few minutes ago. It might sound a bit weird, might not make any sense to you. But um, if we just back up for a moment, if you think buildings like this, this, this church, this place, um, they hold a kind of a special importance in, for, for religions. The same would be if you went to a mosque, or if you went to a synagogue. Um, uh, buildings like that have a special kind of religious function. You go there to get some sort of holy experience, some, some sort of uh, religious moment that you're searching for. And that's, that's partly because of, that's partly because um, that's a theme that runs through the Old Testament, this idea of there being a temple, a, a dwelling place of God. And in the Old Testament, the idea of a, a tabernacle or a, a temple or the tent where God dwelled was, is saying this is where on earth, this is where God's presence is. He's not contained and confined there. In one sense, you can, uh, God's, the, all, the Psalms talks about the all of creation being God's temple. That God is, in a sense, is, is everywhere, but there's a, uh, God amongst his people decided that the temple, the tabernacle, was where God was going to dwell. So you see it. We were working through last year the book of Exodus. We got to chapter 14 where the, the people of God have, have crossed the Red Sea out of Egypt. And then as you go on later in the story, what happens is they go into the desert. They set up this kind of campsite in the wilderness and they, they, they pitch a tent. 
They pitch a tent, and that becomes their temple. That's, that's where God dwells. And there's a moment in Exodus 40 where, where they're, they're, they're kind of setting up this tent, and it says the clouds covered the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And then as the story goes on, they end up uh, moving back into Israel, into Jerusalem, and then King Solomon comes and he builds a temple in Jerusalem, in the middle of the city. God amongst his people says in two chronicles that the priests could not stand because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. So you have this meeting place amongst the people of Israel where God dwelt powerfully. And that was where if you wanted to meet with God, you went to the temple. That was where God existed, where you, his presence dwelt. And then in the New Testament, this radical change takes place, which is what Jesus and then Peter are talking about. It says in John 1 that the word talking about Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. The word becomes flesh. Jesus becomes a man, a human, and dwells among us. And that word in John 1, dwelt, you could translate that as, as like a, as a, he came to make his tent, to pitch a tent. Like you go to a campsite and you erect your tent and hammer down the pegs. That's what it means, that Jesus came to, to set up the presence of God amongst us. He came to pitch his tent himself. As we see uh, throughout the Gospels, and as Jesus was talking about in Matthew 21, Jesus begins to talk about himself as the temple of God, where you come to meet God, where you come to find his presence. The true temple of God is now Christ himself. He's the living stone. This is where the presence of God is. But then the New Testament takes it further and says that now as those of us who are believers in Jesus through our union with Christ, as we sing about often, as I was praying about earlier, we've died with him and rose again with him. We have this new birth, this new life, this new creation. We have this union with God. And that means now that the New Testament begins to talk about the church, the people of God, not the building, but the people as the living house of God, of where God dwells, of where God is. So in Ephesians 2, it's talking about the church. It says, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We're being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The manifest presence of God is now found in Jesus Christ, and he's chosen to give that privilege to the church, to the people of God, to us. God's residence is no longer a literal temple in Jerusalem, nor simply in heaven, but if the best way to describe the church in the people, 
if you want to, if the best way to describe what a church is, what if people say, what is Liberty Church? Like, what what are you? You could say, well, we're we're the the present place of God's habitation on earth. This is where God lives amongst us, amongst His people. This is the temple of God. Now, this is some kind of rich and hopefully exciting theology, but what does this, what does this mean? And Peter kind of unpacks this for us. And really what this means essentially is now we have this, as his people, we have this new status and this new mission. We have a, a position. We have a, we have a purpose now. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In that verse, Peter's quoting from the Old Testament again and again, lots of phrases he's picking out of various passages of the Old Testament to say to us, this is what the church is now. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So let's look at this in a bit more, in a bit more detail. So first of all, to be what the, the church is, the people of God, and what you are is chosen. We're a chosen race. Now that's a really important word because it doesn't mean that we're we're chosen not because there's something choice about us, as in there's not anything special or unique about you, but you're chosen because, well, basically because God has decided to choose you. And he's quoting there from, Peter's quoting from Deuteronomy, where it says, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for the, you were the fewest of all peoples, but it's because the Lord loves you. He's saying to Israel, I didn't pick you because you were, there was more of you. I thought, well, I can take on the whole world because there's just more of them. So eventually we'll, we'll wipe everybody out because there's just more. God says, no, there, was, there wasn't anything special about you at all but I chose you because I love you. That's what he said to them, and that's what he says to us, that he loves us, he chose us, because he loves us. And that's, that's as far as the argument goes. It's the same with, with my kids. You know, I, I love my kids because they're mine, and I love them. Not because they're particularly well-behaved, because a lot of the time they're not. <laughs> not because they do the right things or they listen to what I say and do what I tell them to. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't. And yet I still love them because I love them. And it's difficult to really describe, you know, I didn't, you know, what just, something just happens when you become a parent that you have this overwhelming sense of love towards them that doesn't make any sense, you know, and they're, they're there just kind of, you know, helpless, kind of a few weeks old babies, 
And, and babies at that age, all they do is cry and dribble and poo. You know, that's, that's all they're capable of doing. Um, and and it's, it's in a sense, to any human purpose, they're a bit useless. They can't do anything other than annoying noises and annoying smells. But yet you get this overwhelming sense of love for them that you just can't explain. You think, why? Why is this? Why do I have this sense of just overwhelming passion for this helpless, smelly, noisy thing? Why? And it's, 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 it's actually God speaking to us and saying to us, well, this is how much I love you. The, the amount that this affection that just bubbles out, out of nowhere, that's how God loves you, with that same affection. Not because you've, you've done anything special, because most of the time we like to think that as Christians we've, we're doing pretty well and we're hitting the mark. But in reality, most of the time, we're just making some funny smells and some annoying noises and doing the wrong things. And yet God still loves us. It says in 1 Corinthians that God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So if you're feeling weak or foolish or inferior or just low, well, you're in the right place because God's chosen you. He's picked you out. He's chosen you to even be here. No one is here this morning at, at random. It's not you just, you might think that it's just a random accident that you walked into this building. But no, God decided that you were going to be here. For you, as part of this church, you might think, well, I, I, just, I just grew up in this city. Well, do you know what? God wanted you to be part of this, this church in this city so much that he moved your parents here so that you could grow up here. You might think, well, I just, I just moved here for my study or for my work or whatever reason. No, that was, that was a secondary reason. The number one reason is that God wanted you here. He's got a mission for you. He's got a purpose for you. He's chosen you to be here as part of this community for a reason. So don't take that lightly. That's important. It's really important. So we're chosen. We're also a royal priesthood. Peter's quoting here from Exodus 19, where it says, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. All of us, are, we're part of this royal priesthood now. I don't have time to explain all of what that means. But one important thing to say is that um, that's true for all of us. It's true for all of us. You might think that maybe the people up here on the stage or me, there's something uniquely special about me, and there are lots of things that are uniquely special about me. Of course. They're not all good things, but there are some things that are just unique to me. <laughs> but it's true for, for all of us. We're all, for those who are believers in Jesus, are a royal priesthood. A few weeks ago, as a church, we, we're looking into hiring some office space 
And a few weeks ago, a few of us had this had a meeting with a company that we were talking about possibly sharing some office space with. And um, they, they weren't Christians, they're not a Christian company, and we were just talking to them about how things would work. And they said to us, who's, who's like the, the priest, the, the, the leader, the domine, which is the Dutch word, in, in your congregation? So, oh, that's, that's me. I, you know, I'm, I guess that's the best way to describe me. And they were like, oh, so we get to work in the same office as a priest? I said, well, yes. And they, they literally said, oh, there'd be some special blessing there for us. And I was like, well, not really. <laughs> in, in one hand, yes. Because all of us get to take into our workplaces and our families and our streets and our universities to bring something of the presence of God there as temples of the Holy Spirit. And that's what people are supposed to look at us and see something of God. We're supposed to be like living letters, as Paul describes it, where people are supposed to read our lives and think, wow. This, this, this person, there's something of Jesus that speaks through how we live to people. But there's not anything uniquely special about me as the pastor of this church in God's kingdom and his purposes. There really isn't. Leaders are actually called to be servants in his church, which is servants down here, not up here, is the point I'm making. We're a royal priesthood. We're also... As it goes on to say, we're a holy nation. And part of what this means is we've been able to, we've inherited all the blessings that were supposed to be f- for the people of Israel, we've inherited now. And even to a, because of what Jesus has done, to even, even greater a measure, to an even fuller extent. And that means in, in inheriting all these blessings, We're supposed to do their work. And part of the role, the function of Israel is to proclaim and to declare and to show the greatness of God. To be a a nation within all the other nations of the world that shines something brighter and more powerful and more beautiful. And that's what the church is supposed to be. In this city, we get to be a city within a city as a family, the community of God, we get to display to the world around us that Amsterdam is a, is a great city, but it could be so much better. There's so much more, there's so much more blessing for you in life. We, we, we get to be the answer, the solution. We get to be uh, uh, this beautiful, shining example of who Jesus is and what he's done. We get to display that to the people around us And we've been planted in the midst of this city. God's given us these buildings to use on a Sunday because he wants that to happen. He's called you here to be an elect exile, a citizen of heaven sent here for a particular purpose to declare and to display who God is. And the church is where the city meets God. That, that's what we're supposed to be, the place where people come in. It says in 1 Corinthians that we want people to come in who don't know Jesus and come here and say, surely God is here. 
Surely God is alive. Surely he's real. Surely he, he, he loves me and he wants to know me. People are supposed to come in, whether it's here on a Sunday or other contexts, or when they meet you in their life, they're supposed to encounter the church and say, God's here. God's here. So we're a holy nation. We're also a people for his own possession. Again, he's quoting this time from both Deuteronomy and Exodus. It says in Exodus 19, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. And we get to be like this. The church is like his, his treasure chest, his prize, something that God delights in and treasures with his possession that he, he owns and loves. God, he didn't just end up with you it's not like he said, well, I'm going to choose you, you, and well, I'll take you because you just, you just hang around with them. So you might as well come along as well. And God didn't just end up with us and think, oh, look at this useless group of people. What on earth am I going to do with this lot? I'll just put them over here and pretend they're not there. And then in eternity, I'll find something useful for them to do. Now, God's, we're his treasured possession if you go into, the, into one of the, the museums or art galleries in, in the city, you'll notice if you, um, all around the buildings, or most of the buildings, there's, there's people, uh, there's security guards there, you know, dressed, dressed in a suit with a tie, and they stand around very anonymously, and most of the time you don't notice that they're there. They just, that's, that's what they try and do, pretend they're not there. But if you try and touch one of the paintings, you will know that they're there, I guarantee it. Even if you try and, I've seen it often where tourists will, will, will get out their camera and they'll take a picture of the flash on and then you know that the security guards are there because they will tell you in no uncertain terms that you must turn the flash off. And they get very cross if you can persist with using the flash. But it's, they're, they're, they're taking these, these prized, treasured works of art and they're guarding them jealously and that's what God does with us. He, he's guarding us jealously as his treasured possession. There's a story in, in the book of Acts where, where Paul, who, who ends up writing you know, quite a lot of the New Testament, um, where Paul is converted, he's known at the time as Saul, and he wasn't a very nice guy. He was persecuting the church. He was attacking Christians. He was doing some quite horrible things. And God, he, he's on this journey. He's on the road to Damascus. And Jesus just powerfully encounters him. And Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, you know, Saul could have said, well, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting these people, the church because that's what he was doing. But see, the, Jesus guards and prizes us so jealously that if people persecute us, he says, why are you persecuting me? Because of our intimate union with Christ, there's something about the church where if you attack it, you're attacking God himself. In a way, it's maybe not the best example, it's a bit like the Mafia. You know, if you mess with that person, you're messing with the whole family, right? 
God's saying, if you hurt one tiny branch of my church, that's, that's, that's him you're persecuting. That's Jesus. Through that beautiful, this kind of almost mystical union with Christ that we have, that we're now his body. Jesus is the head, we're the body. And it's not just a metaphor, it's not just a nice picture. There's something wonderfully true about that. We are the presence of God. So, I guess probably one of the main things I want to say to you this morning is don't mess around with the church. Don't, it's, it's, not, it's not something just to kind of, just to, to treat with disdain. It's not something to just sort of, well, I'll, I'll try that one and I'll try this one and maybe I won't, nah, maybe I'm not interested anymore. The church is, is so much more important than that. As hopefully we've been trying to see, this is, this is God's possession. This is his prize. You know, when, when we read, and as often you read stories in the press of where horrible abuse has happened in the church, and that should make just our hearts ache. Because, oh, that's not just... <laughs> It's a, a horrible stories of people that have been hurt, but it's, it's, you're not realizing what the church is supposed to be. And yet, sometimes we can abuse the church with how we act and behave, because we just don't really act as though we really care about it. We can just come and go, and we can just pick the bits that we like. I like this bit of church life, so I'll do this, but I don't want to do this bit. That's not how we're supposed to treat the church. We're supposed to commit to it. And do you know what? It's, it, it would definitely be my story that just saying to God, okay, the church, I'm going to give my life for this thing. And that means, you know, it doesn't always, sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's messy because the church is full of people. <laughs> and, you know, some of us aren't very nice sometimes. It's true. Being part of a church isn't an easy thing. Sometimes it can be, can be a hard thing. There's a, there's, if you, I, I saw it this morning um, when I was, we were walking from the station to here. You walk under a bridge and there's a sign that says, I scribbled it down, it says, Turukkomen is neat het selfte as blijven, which means coming back is not the same as staying. Um, and it's, in a way, it's kind of a message to tourists, you know. And we, if you've moved here, if you came here before, there's our experience, we came here a few times before, once as tourists, a few times to check this city out. And Amsterdam is one thing when you come and visit, and when you live here, it's another thing. In good ways and bad ways. And the church is kind of the same. You know, if you've just arrived here, this is your first week, or you've been a few times, then then I'd say, just stay, and it will be different from what you expect, probably, in good ways and bad ways. But when you commit to something, when you throw your, your awe in, an English expression, when you throw your life into something, there's a rich beauty there. There's something wonderful and powerful there. And if this is your first week here, then great, you're really welcome. If you're here and you're not a believer and you're not uh, uh, you're not a follower of Jesus, then you, you can come and go as you please. You're very welcome to. But if you're a Christian here and you're just 
you're just a kind of a church tourist. You just kind of come and go as you please, and maybe I'll try that church, and this church, they've got a really good worship band, and that guy's a really good preacher, and that guy's got a really good beard. I'll go there. Don't treat the church like that. Don't. Because that's, that's, that's they're, they're different families of God that you're messing with. Pick one. It doesn't have to be this one, but just pick one. Just say, I'm, I'm going to make this one my home. I'm, this is going to be my house. This is going to be where I'm going to worship God. This is where I'm going to invest my life. Love people, give myself to people, care for people, unselfishly love people. This is going to be the family which we're going to take and reach the city with, but just pick one. Pick one. Okay, I'm just going to skip over for time a couple of points. If we come to the last verse, it says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Because everything that we'd read before, we were just looking at in verse 9, chosen race, holy nation, royal priesthood, etc. All of those things, all of that was true about Israel, right? All of that is what God had said to them, but he's now saying it to us, and it was all true about them. But yet, they, they rejected God. They, they broke this covenant, this promise that God had made to them. They, they broke it. And it talks about that in the book of Hosea, which is where Peter is quoting from here. And the book of Hosea, it's a fascinating book, the end of your Old Testament, and it, it kind of uses these pictures to de depict how Israel has been unfaithful. And one of the ways it talks about it is that God tells Hosea, who writes the book, he tells him to, to find himself a wife, and he tells him to marry a prostitute. And then it tells a story about how this prostitute and Hosea have children, and yet some of the children are, are Hosea's, he's the father, and some of them aren't because this woman has prostituted herself out to these other men. And Hosea has these kids, some of whom are his and some of whom, whom aren't. And one of these children, God tells him to name the child No Mercy, which isn't the best name for a kid. And another one of the child, children tells him in verse 9 of chapter 1 of Hosea, says, call his name Not My People which again, you're gonna get bullied in school with that name. Like, what is that about? What's your name? My name's not my people. And it goes on to say, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. And Peter quotes this here in verse 10, because what happened to, with Israel is like a, they've been so unfaithful to God, that God takes that quite extreme and harrowing picture of a prostitute who just tours herself out. And he says, you've been unfaithful like that. And that should hopefully come with a, a, a punch in our hearts. They've been unfaithful. And he's saying the 
the covenant, the promise that God made with them, you've broken it. Not just a little bit, but you've smashed it. You've obliterated it. And God says that once I called you a people, and now I say, no mercy. Not my people. But yet in Hosea, you get this story of God's powerful, redeeming love at the same time. Where it says, goes on in Hosea to say, I will have mercy on no mercy. On the child, no mercy, I'll have mercy. I'll say to the child, not my people, you are my people. And that's what Peter's quoting here in verse 10. See, this God of mercy, he comes and he overturns the sentence that he's imposed on us. And that's true for us as well. Well, we've rejected God, or we've abandoned him, or we've tried to live our own ways, or we thought my way is better, and it's not. Well, we've made sometimes mistakes that we don't want any, anyone in this room to know about. Horrible things, harrowing things. What God's done is he's come and he's made a way that we can know God. He's taken those things and he's died for them. It says at the start of that passage that he was the rejected living stone. He was rejected by men. Jesus was. The rejection, the shame, everything that we deserve, God took upon himself to die for us so that now where we should have been known as no mercy, where we should have received no mercy, we receive mercy. Where we should have no right to be in his temple, in his house. No right to, 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 to come in and be part of his family. He says, no, you're my people. Come and enter in now. Come and be in the temple of God. Come and know God, meet God. And so much more to say from this passage but what we can what we I guess a really great way to respond is that we get to come and as it says as priests now in his kingdom we get to come and do the very thing that we were made for so we get to worship God that's our existence if you go right to back to the very start of the Bible you find Adam in the garden and the best way to describe that scene is Adam is, he's effectively like a priest in God's temple. <laughs> That's what he's doing there. He's sent there to worship God in God's creation. And then that theme runs through the whole Bible again and again. That God's, create, first of all, called out a people and he's placed his temple there. And now through Jesus he sent the dwelling place of God to be amongst us and to erect another temple, another place where God dwells, the church. And here we get to do what we're made to do. We get to do what Adam was made to do. We get to come and worship. We get to offer our spiritual sacrifices of praise and adoration. So when we, and that's not just 
singing songs on a Sunday, and we'll go on in the rest of Peter to work out practically a bit more about what he's talking about. But a big part of it is to, to worship God. So when we come and sing now, we, we're getting to do what this is all about. We're getting to, to act out our roles as priests now, as a royal priesthood. We get to come and delight that we've been chosen, that he's lavished his mercy on us. Let me pray. And then Len and Maria will lead us. Jesus, we, we thank you that you're the cornerstone. You're this living stone. You're the foundation on which, on which everything else is being built. And you've promised that you'll build your church, that you're the head of the church. You've called us as your people to be this dwelling place of God. You've called us to be this chosen people, this holy nation, this treasured possession, your royal priesthood. Oh, thank you, that's, that's true for us here. And I just pray for anyone here that feels that maybe that isn't true for them, that they don't feel in any way chosen. They don't know that there's a Father in heaven who loves them, who's called them out. I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would speak into their hearts. It says in that passage that you're this, this living stone, you're, you're a stumbling block that's put in front of all of us. And I pray that in their hearts they would, they would just trip over you this morning and discover you, discover your incredible love for them, that you've called them to be chosen and precious in your family. It doesn't matter what they've done or said or thought, that they now can receive mercy because of what you've done, Jesus. Now can now be known as part of your people because of your great love for them. Thank you for your love for us, God.